Welcome to Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner, brought to you by the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Murray, coming to you from Miami. On each episode, we'll bring you inspiring conversations about your sight and the special role the retina plays in making healthy vision possible. We'll hear from expert retina specialists, as well as directly from patients about living life to the fullest with retinal disease. Join us and learn how to safeguard your retina health for life. Welcome to the American Society of Retina Specialists, Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner. On this episode, we're going to talk about a complex situation, retinal detachment, and what you should know about the risk factors, causes, symptoms, and fortunately treatments for this condition. Today, I'm happy to welcome my colleague and fellow retina specialist, Dr. Jay Stallman to the show. And we're joined by one of Dr. Stallman's patients, Mr. David Bragg. So it's really an honor to have you both here. And I'm looking forward to you having the opportunity to share your experiences with us. Welcome, Dr. Stallman. Welcome, David. Thank, Thank you very much for having us. It's a pleasure. Jay, the public may have some awareness of what a retinal detachment is because recently, of course, Savannah Guthrie's had a traumatic retinal detachment on the Today Show, um, and she's had a difficult course for, for her outcome. But having said that, I think many of our audience really is uncertain as to what the signs and symptoms of a retinal detachment are and what they should be concerned about. So could you give us a brief overview of how you look at retinal detachment and take us through some of the causes and what you see as risk factors? Sure, thank you, Tim. Well, uh, as I explained to patients, the retina, of course, is like the film in the back of the camera, in the back of the eye, and in the middle of the eye, there's a jelly called the vitreous. And as a normal aging process, the vitreous contracts and pulls away from the retina. And that's a normal occurrence. It happens to most people eventually, but in some people, the vitreous is more tightly stuck to the surface and it pulls on the retina and it makes a tear. And if you get a tear, then fluid can run through the tear and get under the retina and make it peel away from the inside of the eyeball like wallpaper peeling off the wall. And when you get a tear, oftentimes little blood vessels may be broken and blood cells or other cells will be dispersed into the vitreous and people will see spots floating. And it's usually a sudden sort of shower of floaters. People describe it in various ways, like um, smoke in the air or cobwebs floating, or I've heard people say it looks like a drop of ink put in water as it disperses around, or tadpoles, or various descriptions. But it's a sudden onset of more spots than the baseline average floaters. And sometimes it's associated with flashes of light, like a strobe light going off kind of to the side of the vision most commonly. Um, and ultimately, if a retinal detachment develops, people get a shadow or curtain cutting off or blocking out part of the vision. Uh, sometimes people say it's kind of like as if the hair were hanging over the side of their uh, vision, if the hair were hanging down and they were trying to brush it away, but they couldn't get it to go away. So something like that should um, certainly send someone immediately to see their, their ophthalmologist. 
So I think that was really excellent. So you hit on really sort of those three key symptoms. So the flashing lights in the eye, which is the jelly pulling on the retina that can lead to that tear, the sudden increase in floaters that may be the blood in the eye or some changes within the fluid, and then the curtain-like change, which is the change associated with fluid under the retina leading to a detachment. So, so those really are our key three symptoms that we really want our patients and their families and, and our public really to be aware of. So David, you've experienced firsthand what it's like to have your vision change quickly and dramatically because of a detachment. Can you tell us about your experience? Uh, yes, first, Dr. Murray, thanks for having me here tonight. Uh, I really appreciate it. And to Dr. Stallman, thank you for everything you've done for me personally and professionally. I truly appreciate it. Um, I wish I would have paid attention to what you just described, and I wish I would have had that information almost two years ago, because I had those exact symptoms. I got up in the morning uh, here. I live in Atlanta and uh, woke up in the morning, was in the shower, getting to go on a business trip to our company home office. Uh, on the way to the airport, I noticed I was getting some arcing light in my right eye and just thought I was tired, uh, really didn't think too much about it got on the plane, flew into St. Louis. Um, everything was pretty normal then. Uh, got to our corporate office. Still noticed a little bit of the, the arcing light in my right eye. Um, I didn't have any pain, no sensation like that. So I just thought it was pretty normal. Um, and then uh, I was giving a presentation that evening to our entire company. And I noticed all of a sudden that I started seeing these uh, kind of like a gray or a black uh, uh, snowflakes coming down. Uh, and I noticed uh, that it was increasing very rapidly. Um, and my 30 minute presentation from the time I started by the time I was done, um, I had lost a lot of vision in my eye. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I've been in the ophthalmic industry for over 30 years. Uh, early on had retinal experience, believe it or not and still really wasn't aware of quite what was going on. And I contacted one of my ophthalmologists and explained the situation. And fortunately, he got me in, in contact with a retina specialist in St. Louis immediately. So again, I wish I would have known what to look for. Um, I really didn't pay any attention to it because there wasn't a painful sensation. Uh, and I really wasn't losing that much vision when I saw the early on arc. So that was, that was what occurred to me when I had my first retinal de detachment. So David, you hit on two key points I think that we don't emphasize maybe enough, which is there's no pain with this. So our patients are always surprised that there was no pain. And secondly, you have also um, really highlighted the fact that the vision when this starts can actually be quite good because this process often starts out in the periphery and it can really be masked. So Dr. Stallman, when a patient like David presents with symptoms like this, how do you evaluate them and what tools are useful in establishing the correct diagnosis before a treatment plan is made? Well, I think the first thing is, uh, just as David emphasized that he didn't have the awareness, even being a very sophisticated patient and, and in our industry, you can imagine many patients have, have even less uh, exposure to, to this and, and have less awareness. So I think we try to train our staff to be very aware of these things, to recognize when a patient 
calls with symptoms to make sure that they're brought in promptly and not uh, scheduled for an appointment several weeks out. When they do get in, uh, of course, the history usually tells us what's going on before we even have to take a look in, in many cases. Um, but we evaluate the way their pupils react to light with uh, various lights, uh, which can be an indicator of a problem with the retina. And then we dilate the pupils with eye drops and we look in the back of the eye with bright lights. We have an instrument, as you know, called an indirect ophthalmoscope, which is a kind of a headlight that we wear that um, gives us a very uh, panoramic view of the back of the eye. It takes some practice to use because what we see is actually upside down and backwards. Um, so we have to learn to interpret that, but um, we use that uh, instrument to see the back of the eye and we have um, wide angle cameras that allow us to photographically document the situation. And that's useful too for patient education to be able to show patients like David what exactly is going on in the back of the eye and help them understand why we're going to do what we're going to do. I've also found, um, Jay, that it's helpful to look at the OCT of the macula to give us some idea of what the macular status is. And that's from a, a surgical perspective, you know uh, how important whether the macula may be on or off is in counseling the patient as to how they will, they will do. And in my office, often with the detachment, we have access to ultrasound of the eye, which lets us use an ultrasound, much like we're looking for OBGYN examinations to look into the eye itself. But I think you've really highlighted the two most important things. The most important thing is that dilated exam where the pupil is dilated to allow us to look. And probably the most important tool of all of us for a retina specialist is that indirect ophthalmoscope or that headlamp. So I think that's really, really key. I, I agree with you. The ultrasound is, is very, very useful, especially in cases where the eye may be full of blood or, or perhaps there is a, uh, a dense cataract or some other reason that we can't see into the back of the eye very well. Uh, the ultrasound uh, for patients is, is a sound wave test that makes pictures of the back of the eye, just like the obstetrician would make a picture of a baby. Um, so that is very useful. And the OCT is a, a computer scan that we do that uh, gives us a very magnified, really microscopic view of the details of, of the center of the retina. And Jay, I think you would agree that not only have the diagnostic tools for us expanded, but our surgical technologies to be able to treat patients with retinal detachment has really significantly advanced over the last two decades. Could you take us through a little bit of those advances and how that applied to some of David's care? Absolutely. Well, you know, there have been uh, treatments that have been quite successful for retinal detachment for a long time. Uh, one of the, the oldest ones uh, is scleral buckling. And scleral buckling is a procedure where we attach a silicone band or belt around the outside of the eye that acts sort of like a cast on a broken arm to hold everything in place. It's a permanent implant, but it's a fairly large surgery for the patient. And it involves a lot of manipulation of the tissue and the eye somewhat uh, red and sore and irritated afterwards. There are little stitches on the surface of the eye. And even though they dissolve by themselves and they don't have to be removed, they can be scratchy and irritated. Um, so, so that's a, a difficult surgery for many patients, but often still very useful. 
um, bec it's becoming increasingly common to use vitrectomy surgery. And vitrectomy is a surgery where we remove the vitreous jelly from the inside of the eye. And over the last decade, those instruments have become much smaller and more precise. And the machines that run those instruments um, have also um, improved tremendously. Um, they vacuum the vitreous jelly out and also chop it up into little bits as it is removed. And the rate of cutting on those machines has increased tremendously, which has reduced uh, potential complications. Um, we now use little valves, little valve cannulas, they're called, um, that allow us to insert and remove the instruments from the eye with less trauma and uh, often to create such tiny incisions that they're self-sealing um, without even having to close them. Um, we often fill the inside of the eye with an air bubble or a gas bubble, and we use that to hold everything in place uh, on the inside of the eye and do laser treatment to sort of spot weld everything in position. Sometimes we use cryotherapy. Cryotherapy is a freezing treatment. It's used with the uh, scleral buckle surgery. Um, we also have a, a technique that's somewhat less invasive, um, as you know, that we used for selected patients where we can actually inject a gas bubble in the office without having to take them to the operating room at all, and that's called a pneumatic retinopexy. And uh, that has a somewhat lower success rate than the other surgeries, uh, requires quite a bit more cooperation in terms of precisely positioning the gas bubble, but it can save uh, quite a number of patients a trip to the operating room. Um, and if uh, they are able to avoid surgery and still have a successful resolution, um, then a lot of patients prefer that as long as they're able to position themselves. So we have three major options, the scleral buckle, the vitrectomy surgery, and the pneumatic retinopexy. And then, of course, there are other devices and what we call adjunctive agents or um, other tools that we use to help in more complicated types of surgery for example, some patients, we uh, instead of using gas in the eye to hold everything in place, we may put silicone oil in the eye, which is a clear liquid oil that we put in. Um, and oftentimes that actually will um, reduce the requirements for patients to position themselves. But the disadvantage is that it requires additional surgery later to go back and remove the oil. Um, we have something called perfluorocarbon liquid, which is a heavier than water liquid, which is put in the eye temporarily during surgery to press everything flat, and that's useful in more complex cases and cases that we refer to as giant tears, where uh, the retina tears for a very large part of the circumference of the eye. So um, the, the uh, tools available to us have expanded tremendously. Yeah, I would have to agree that the advances have been remarkable. The other thing that's been interesting is that, that I've been doing this a long time where buckling, scleral buckling was really the primary procedure. And now for us, for the majority, primary vitrectomy surgery has really replaced the buckle. And I think our patients have appreciated that. We've also seen some shifts in perioperative care. We're able to do most of these cases now without a general anesthesia, which makes the patient's recovery a little bit easier. And the operation, which for many of these cases, when I started, took five or six hours, is now done you know, easily under an hour. David, you've been through all of this on the tough end of the vitrector, as we like to say. Can you give us some of your perspective on, on how this went from you for you surgically and what you thought was, was easy and what you thought was tough? 
Yeah, I, I think I've had pretty much the variety of everything that Dr. Stallman's described. I've had the uh, I've had a scleral buckle put in, and I've also had uh, gas bubbles twice, um, and you know, I've gone through these various procedures. Um, I think the one thing that's always helped me through the entire process is Dr. Stallman's always been very upfront with me. He's uh, always given me my options, made it very clear what those truly meant to me, what the positives were, what the negatives could be, um, you know, not setting any false expectations. Um, so I think that that was always the key. I really understood going into the procedure, uh, the good and the bad and the possible uh, outcomes. Um, I think the most important thing that, that I also learned was that you need to be patient. Um, this is not a process, unfortunately, that you go in and they do some work on you and it's uh, like cosmetic procedures, whatever it may be, you come out the other end and wow, I, I feel great, my vision's great. It is a process and you need to be patient through the process and, and you know, make sure you're in constant communication as required with, with your retinal specialist and be patient because uh, it, it is a process. So one of the things that we know too, David, and, I'm, and I know that you're aware of this, is that when you have a complication with a retinal detachment in one eye, it does predispose you, of course, to a retinal detachment or recurrence in that eye, but there's also a higher risk of detachment in the fellow eye. So that, that seems to also be a really um, important emphasis point for us is to say that once you've seen your retina specialist, to me, you almost have a lifelong relationship together um, it's not really, as you suggested, one and done. It really requires some excellent attention. You were in the vision industry for, for decades and had some retina specialties. So how do you think you had done about having your eyes examined and, and achieving sort of that dilated retina exam where the pupil is dilated before your detachment? Probably like some of the classes I took in college, not so well. <laughs> Um, I probably could have done a lot better. I had a dilated exam, you know, maybe when I was in my early 20s, mid-20s. And then, uh, you know, I went in and got the normal exams for my vision for either contacts or glasses. And beyond that, I really never went in and got a dilated exam. And, you know, I've stressed from after my first surgery to my family and anybody that would listen to me is you need to go in and get a baseline. Um, and that's what I was missing in an understanding of it. And I would also agree that even now with, with my other eye, as Dr. Stallman knows, uh, I see him quite often uh, just to make sure everything's going fine in my other eye. And fortunately for me, things are going well. But um, it is a lifelong commitment now to my vision that I do need to see him on a regular basis. You know, I think that um, Dr. Stallman and I will, will tell you, and you would, you would agree, I'm sure, that, um, you know, we, we really fear a lot of things and, and losing our vision and being blind really is one of those great fears. And, and I think that's, you know, not what should motivate us to, to have good eye care, but it's really the understanding that with good eye care that we can almost always achieve really good lifelong vision for our patients. So what have you told your family and your friends now uh, about, about your experience and what you'd recommend? Yeah, I think it goes beyond my family and friends. I've been 30 plus years in the ophthalmic industry. I've actually developed retinal products uh, for visualization, 3D visualization that's used in retina today by a lot of retinal surgeons. 
Um, I, I've tried to tell everybody in the industry that it is critically important that you go see an ophthalmologist, get a dilated exam. And if you see any of these conditions, and again, that's what I've always stressed is, I don't think people are really aware of what they should be looking for. And I've, I've stressed the factors of floaters and increase in floaters, halos, glare, whatever it may be. Uh, and then you should be able to then approach your retina uh, uh, ophthalmologist and have a discussion with them on what's taking place in your eye. Yeah, I think that's really key. So one of the things as we age, of course, is we may have an occasional flash or we may have an occasional floater. And I tell my patients not to be overly concerned about that, but those sudden changes, like you notice that that linear, curvilinear change with the flash, and then you notice those sudden onset of the shower of the floaters and then the loss of the vision. So David, that was almost a classic description of an evolving retinal detachment. And I think your emphasis on the symptoms and recognizing that this doesn't hurt, there's no really no pain with this, and that early the vision can be good are really critical. And then I think you really also help to focus on having that baseline exam to allow you to assess what your risk may be for your future. And it's important too, because some of these conditions that we're discussing may even run in families. So sometimes I'll look and I'll, and I'll tell my patients that I really want to see other members of their families so that I can assess what their risk might be. So I think that you've done a phenomenal job educating our, our audience and maybe future patients and families. But David, if you were to close with one thing for, for this, what would that be? I would stay focused on your vision. I would get the pre-exams. I would make sure I get a dilated exam. And I would not be afraid to communicate with my ophthalmologist on what's going through, what you're experiencing with your eye. And if you do have this issue, um, it is a process, but these doctors, Dr. Stallman, they're specialists. They will do their best and do what's required to make sure that you get the best vision possible. And I've had all the confidence in the world in Dr. Stallman, and um, I've appreciated everything he's done. So. That would be my comment. Dr. Stallman has been phenomenal in how, how he's taken care of you and taking you through the process. And there's a lot of education that goes along with managing the, the patient surgical care. I also think it's important for our patients or our future patients to know where they can go to get additional information. So you can always go to the website and put in find my retina specialist and it will allow you to find a retina specialist by zip code or by name or by location. So I find that really helpful. I'd like to thank um, Dr. Stallman and David for joining us today and for being so focused on what to look for in a retinal detachment and Dr. Stallman for taking us through those advances in how we now care for our patients. And I really do want to reiterate the importance as we continue to say over and over again of really mind your symptoms. I find that I'm never unhappy if I see a patient and, and they have a symptom and it's good news. I'm only unhappy when I haven't been able to see the patient early and something has happened to their eye, like a retinal tear or a hemorrhage or a detachment. So thank you guys so much for joining us. An excellent show with ASRS. Thanks for tuning in to Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner. You can watch and listen to more episodes on the ASRS YouTube channel and on popular podcast directories, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. 
For even more information about safeguarding your vision for a lifetime, visit ASRS.org patients and follow ASRS on both Facebook and Twitter. Retina Health for Life is made possible in part through generous support from the Foundation of the American Society of Retina Specialists, Allergan, Genentech, Novartis, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. See you soon.